Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We are tackling the issue of sexuality and the Bible. Um, it is uh, what the culture calls Gay Pride Month, unfortunately, and we think these issues are so important. Um, especially in the midst of this sexual revolution that's happening within American culture specifically. So yesterday we talked a little bit about um, what the Bible teaches about sexuality and then specifically homosexuality. And I want to give you guys a scenario real quick. I've encountered this with uh, probably well-meaning Christians who don't know the Scripture very well. And they say, well, why do you, you're pick and choosing the laws that you want to obey, Christian, um, for instance, you know, it says in the Old Testament that you shouldn't mix uh, cotton and wool together. But then on the, so you're, you're ignoring those verses. You're ignoring some of these ceremonial law verses. But then on this question of sexuality, you're like pouncing all over it. You, you guys are inconsistent. Yeah. Let me, let me deal with that as, as briefly as I can. And no Christian claims that everything in the Bible is still, no Christian claims that every law or prohibition in the Bible is still in effect today. And the question is, how do we, how do we distinguish? The accusation is that we're being simply arbitrary. Yes. And that's not true. No. Uh, particularly in the Reformed tradition, we have always seen, uh, going, going way back, going back centuries, we've seen that there are three kinds of law mm-hmm. in, in the Bible. And particularly I'm talking now about the Old Testament. There are three kinds of law. Uh, there is dietary code, there is ceremonial law that deals with a system of temple, of animal sacrifices in the temple and how, how you approach the temple of God, and then there's moral law. Mm-hmm. So just, just to review, there's dietary code, there's ceremonial law. Is the dietary code, are you making that like synonymous with the judicial law? Well, there's, there's, yeah, you could add in there, there's civil, there's civil law law under a theocracy. There's a, there's the ceremonial law, which includes the dietary code and the temple stuff. And then there's the moral law. Right. And as you would say, the moral law still holds the moral, the moral law is still in effect. The dietary codes have been specifically set aside in the New Testament in the seventh chapter of Mark. Jesus declared all foods clean. Then in the 10th chapter of Acts, Peter is given a vision of this kind of picnic, picnic blanket descending from heaven covered with mm-hmm. ham and lobsters and you know, all these things that are forbidden. And, <laughs> and, 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 and God and the, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, rise, Peter, take and eat. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the dietary codes are specifically set aside. The ceremonial laws are no longer in effect because when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. The, the Old Testament sacrifice, the book of Hebrews is all about this, that the Old Testament system of animal sacrifice was, was 
nobody was ever forgiven because an animal was sacrificed. That was all pointing to Christ. Mm And when Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled all of that which, which was prefigured him. That's the whole system of temple sacrifice for the forgiveness, for, for putting aside sin. That is all obsolete now because of Christ. It met its completion it in Christ. Its, it, it, met it, its completion. it was never meant to go past Christ. It was simply pointing to Jesus. Amen. Right. Yep. Uh, the, the civil code is set aside because we're not a theocracy. Right. And there, and there are some aspects of that civil code that we would say still the principles of certain things uh, still apply according to what people define as a general equity. Yeah. For instance, there were certain certain things in that in that civil code that you know just like uh, like city codes. You know, you need to build a fence around your pool, or yeah. you needed to build a wall around the top of your house so somebody didn't fall over. Yeah. There's certain general equity things that would continue. These are. Uh, there are certain things that you would expect in a society as we live among each other. And those ceremonial laws oftentimes were just uh, – they, they were to set apart a people yeah. to understand – and so that they would understand that and God has holy requirements upon them. Yeah. And and so there, though there was a purpose for those ceremonial laws to set them apart from the nations of the earth to show that God had placed uh, his purpose upon them so yeah. that they would be a witness to the nations. Yeah. But then that moral law, which will never go, go away, yeah. um, you know, which is, you know, we, we think about the Ten Commandments, but it goes far beyond the Ten Commandments. Uh, you, know, the, you know, there are imperatives throughout God's Word about, um, you know, that are morally based, and yeah. those things are those things that apply to us. And so we as, as believers, one of, one of the reasons for the moral law was to point us to our need in Christ, right? Because we, you know, I fail in that all the time. Right. In, in fact, when we're talking about um, sexuality, you know, we realize that all of us have, uh, you know, purient thought. You know, we're not pure. Yeah. We're and so we we fail in the moral law all the time. So it's to point us to our need for Christ, who fulfilled yeah. all the law perfectly, and then um, you know the response of gratitude of how we should live for the one who right. died for those very sins. Yeah. Right. So real quick, on the moral law, so it's been claimed now a couple of times that this moral law doesn't go away. We explain why the ceremonial law is no longer in effect because it met its completed end in Christ. Civil law met its completed end when the theocracy dissolved. The reason why the moral law um, is still in effect today. So, we're, so we are talking broadly, at least, about right. the Ten Commandments. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the summary of the first four. Uh, you know, don't have any other gods. Don't make any images. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Honor Remember. the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And then the second table, which is honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Those are laws that are moral and unchanging because they reflect God's character. Yes, exactly. So God could not have commanded contrary to those laws. He couldn't have said, I command you to steal. Couldn't have commanded that because that violates his um, very nature. He couldn't command um, human beings to blaspheme his name because that would violate his very character. So that's why when we talk about the moral law being, um, and, and so you know, we're not in the weeds. This is actually really important and foundational to what yes. we're talking about. Yes. Because mm-hmm. when the question is said, well, you guys are arbitrarily picking and choosing which laws you wanna follow, no. what we're responding is, is no, we're not. Um, the Bible is very clear if someone takes the time to study it and, and understand what the Bible is saying about these laws, you'll come to these same conclusions. 
And so it's, it's unfortunate today when there's certain segments of Christianity, when they try to say, well, those laws, all of those laws, whether they're ceremonial or judicial or moral, those are for the Old Testament. We're under a new ethic now. And it's like, well, where do you get that? Right, yeah. right. Well, and that's an old heresy called antinomianism. Uh, the, the word antinomianism means literally anti-law uh, or rejecting the law. And, mm-hmm. and once again, let's emphasize, you know, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Right. We're not being legalistic, uh, but we're saying that, you know, God has given us his law as a gift, uh, that there are, guard, there are guardrails on the path of discipleship uh, because God wants it to go well for us, because God wants us to thir- flourish and thrive. And, but, and let me give you an example of the moral law very much effect in the New Testament. And the first one is in uh, Acts chapter 15. Uh, it's often called the Jerusalem Council. You guys will remember, the listener, listeners may remember if you've, if you've read the book of Acts, uh, that the early church was dealing with something that's kind of lost on us today. Uh, remember that the earliest Christians, uh, the followers of Jesus, uh, who were his, his disciples who uh, became the witnesses of his cross and resurrection, and were the first uh, to early church described in the book of Acts, uh, they were, for the most part, Jews. And uh, they were dealing with something there in the book of Acts. How does a Gentile become a Christian? And does a Gentile, this seems like it's not an issue to us now, but it was a big issue to them. Do you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian? Right. And, the, and the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15 the leaders of the church, the elders came together and prayed and deliberated and came to the decision under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, no. But we will ask two things. This is in Acts 15. We will ask two things of the Gentiles. They don't have to get circumcised. They don't have to follow the dietary code. But we're going to ask two things. Um, that they uh, abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. Now, that's no longer an issue because we get our meat at Albertsons, not at the local pagan temple. Um, and uh, they, they must abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. And secondly, and this is the key, they must abstain from sexual immorality. Porneia is the word in the Greek. And that's not just uh, somebody, an arbitrary human definition of sexual immorality. That is implying the holiness code of Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, when, when early Christians used that word porneia, they had a very definite meaning behind it. Now, how do I know that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. And Paul is taking the Corinthian church to the woodshed because there was sexual immorality among them, and they were proud of it. Hmm. This is a very timely text. How relevant. For for so-called Pride Month. (laughs) This is a very timely text. Beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. They're proud of it. They believe that they're tolerant. They believe that they're free in Christ. And so because of their freedom in Christ, they're celebrating actually the fact that this guy's in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. Now, let me back up and ask a question. Love is love, brothers. Mm-hmm. Are they in love? Well, that's the only criteria, right? Right. That's the rule. That's love, the criteria. That's the for new today. rule. That's yeah. the new rule today. 
Love is love, right? Mm -hmm. And Paul couldn't care less how much these two people might love you. Maybe, Maybe they do. Maybe this guy and his stepmother with whom he's now in a sexual relationship, maybe they love each other very much. Paul could care less and he rebukes the church for tolerating this. Why? Why? Read Leviticus chapter 20. This is a direct violation of the prohibition of, this falls directly within the prohibitions of incest, uh, being too close together in a family relationship. This is prohibited. Why? Because Leviticus prohibits it. And Paul considers Leviticus, the moral code, still very much in effect. Mm -hmm. And he rebukes them and he takes them back to Genesis 2, chapter 24. And he quotes, this is in chapter 6, he'll quote directly from Genesis 2, 24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Paul takes it back to the foundation which is the foundation of the sexual ethic that he's teaching. Mm-hmm. And then he grounds it in the gospel. Maybe we should finish here yes, since we yeah, have like a minute do. left. Thank you. He grounds it in the gospel. I mean, so he's speaking to the church at large. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Now, very Jewish language, but then he, he explains what he means for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Yes. Um, stop living in sin, church, because Christ has already been sacrificed for your sins. Right, and, and then he gives that whole list of sinners in there in chapter six. And by the way, Christian, if you can't find yourself on that list of sin, you need to read it again. Yes. <laughs> because you're in that list, yeah. um, along with those who practice same-sex relations, you're yeah. you're in that list. And he, and he says, "And such were some of you, but you've been washed." Yeah, yeah such were some of you. Such were some of you. Praise yeah. God. And and the, and that's the redeeming power of the gospel. Yeah. Such were some. You used to be this. Now you're now you're light in the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time. 